on the back table. Um, I also want to say thank you to everyone who continues to faithfully give uh, through tithes and offerings. Your giving, um, if you're brand new today, you're wondering, how can I give? There's a, a brown box in the back with a cross on it. And um, your giving makes ministry here possible in everything we do. And God is blessing us in amazing ways uh, for the generosity of the people and how we are generous as a ministry. And um, again, one of the things when I look at God's word and I've learned as a principle in my own life is when you make giving and tithing unto the Lord the priority of your life, the first 10% of what comes into your storehouse, you begin to give that back to the Lord faithfully. God will begin to bless your finances and God will begin to increase you. It's just, it's how God works with his word. The way God works with us as human beings is he puts his word in front of us and he tells us what he has called us to do to walk in obedience. And then because of the free will he's given us, he then leaves it up to us whether or not we're going to walk in obedience. And this is why when we begin to follow Jesus, the decision to follow Jesus is not a one-time decision. We don't go to a service and say, yeah, I'm going to follow Jesus. That's the beginning of a journey. But every single day, day in and day out, we are pressured by the devil. We are tempted by the devil. The devil is always trying to pull us back into the world. And there are crazy times during the course of a day where I have things that go through my mind and I know that I know exactly where they came from and if I fix my heart and my mind on them and I begin to pursue them, that they will actually begin to pull me away from the purposes of God. And the thing is, is the devil is a liar. He is, he's bent on killing, stealing, destroying. He wants to destroy anybody he can. But the thing for the believer, the thing for the son and the daughter of God, when, when we are in Christ... We are set free from the devil, but here's the problem. The moment we begin to compromise, the moment we begin to open the door to temptation, we actually open the door and we say to the devil, come on and have a fellowship with me. Let me tell you, when you begin to engage in sin and you begin to fellowship with the devil, it's exciting in the beginning, but in the end, it will take your life. And sadly, I've, I've, seen, I've seen pastors who... God has used mightily, but then because of their own arrogance and their own pride, they gave in to sin, and, and ultimately the devil destroyed what God was doing. So today, we're going to be uh, taking a look at a, at a message, a call to prayer and fasting. And uh, the reason I, I felt led in this brand new year to the Lord had put this on my heart is because number one, today as a church corporately, for the next seven days, we are going into a time of prayer and fasting. And, and I thought it was really important that if we're going to ask people to pray and to fast, what exactly is this when we talk about biblically? Because there's a lot of things people hear about with fasting and they think, is this what God is calling me to do? Is this really fasting? And what are the benefits of fasting? Because when you combine prayer and fasting together, there is a spiritual dynamic that is created in the spiritual realm that we don't fully understand. But the one thing you see over and over in Scripture is it always brings deliverance, it always brings restoration, and it always brings advancement. And why I believe this is important, and because as a church, in the month of January, the first seven days, we've committed to prayer and fasting, and then each additional month, the first three days, we've done it as well, is because I believe that God planted this church in 2021 in April. And again, you know, people come up to me and they say, Pastor, 
You're doing a great job. The church is doing great. I'm going to be honest with you. This is all Jesus. I'm here for the ride. I thank him for what he's doing. This has nothing to do with me. I'll never take credit for it. I, I, just, I thank him that he's just brought me on the bus and said, here we go, we're riding the bus. But whenever God plants something, there's a time in which the roots start to go down and God will prune along the way. But then there's a time when God is going to begin to say, it is time to expand the house. It is time to set the stakes. It is time to grow not only spiritually but physically. And I truly believe that at the end of 2023, if it's God's will, that the church and its size, we could be at 200, 300, 400 people. But again, that is in God's hands. And one of the things that I have learned with the Lord is that growing and seeing God's kingdom increase is not about appealing to the flesh of man. It's about honoring the Holy Spirit, and it's about praying and preaching the Word of God. And when you do things as the apostles did in the book of Acts, the church doesn't increase by addition. It increases by multiplication. And the thing is, is when God's people understand the principles of increase in God's kingdom, there is nothing the devil can do to stop it. The devil can even try to raise up persecution. And what the devil doesn't understand is when he raises up persecution, it actually strengthens the church and refines it and causes it to continue to expand. So God always has checkmate. God always holds the trump card. But the thing is, <coughs> the Lord tells us that his, his people perish for lack of knowledge. And in this area of prayer and fasting, one of the reasons I believe that a lot of churches are missing out on some things is come, number one, they don't understand the importance of prayer and especially corporate prayer and they also don't understand the importance of fasting. And when these two things go hand in hand corporately, what really I believe it begins to draw is the armies of heaven. I believe that when a people do things God's way that there is a siren that goes out in the halls of where all the angels are sitting and they're waiting to do something and God says, there's a people who are serious about doing what I want them to do. And now I'm going to send you because when you look at a military, when a military goes in and they're going to take ground, the first thing they always send in is they send in the aircraft. Because what the aircraft is going to do is it's going to go, it's going to bomb everything. So when you begin to send in the infantry, you can begin to take ground. And when you begin to pray, this is why in every... Great awakening and revival. When you look at Charles Finney, when you look at others throughout history, was Charles Finney an extraordinary man? No, he wasn't. He didn't even go to seminary. D.L. Moody didn't even go to seminary. But the common denominator between D.L. Moody and Charles Finney is both men were men of prayer. And they were men that Charles Finney said when he would preach, if he saw people looking at him, he said he knew that the Holy Spirit was not working. But the minute people's heads began to drop and they began to consume with the conviction of the Holy Spirit, he knew that the Spirit of God was at work. And what I am really praying in this church is that the fear of the living God would fall upon people and show them truly how righteous and holy He is. That yes, God is full of love, grace, and mercy. God loves us so very much. But God is calling us to a higher and greater place because we are called to be the bride of Christ. We are called to be a bride without spot, wrinkle, and blemish. And the problem in this nation for far too long is that the precious Word of God in so many ways has been compromised because we've been more concerned about the size of crowds instead of the condition of people's hearts. 
And I'll be honest with you, whatever God does with this church is up to him. But the thing that I am most concerned with is the condition of every single person's heart. Because I have spent enough time in prayer where I know the reality that if a person lives this life and their heart is not surrendered to Jesus, what the reality that awaits them in eternity. So today as we get into the Word of God, I just want to ask the Lord for His leading, His guidance as we look at a call to prayer and a fasting. So Father, we come to You now and and Father, we just pray that Your mighty hand would just move in this place. The Holy Spirit, that you would move on hearts, you'd move on lives. Lord, I just pray, open the scriptures to our minds. Father, pour, pour out revelation, wisdom, knowledge, and understanding. Father, I humbly come before you, and I know that anything that happens here is because of you and you alone. The Holy Spirit, I pray that you would have your way, and that you would remove any obstacle, you would remove any satanic stronghold, that Lord, the veil over the eyes of people would fall to the ground and that they would see what you want them to see. Because, Lord, the hour indeed is growing very short, and you are calling your bride to be your bride and to see the harvest come forth. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. And Joel 1, 13 through 15 says this, Put on sackcloth, you priests, and mourn. Wail, you who minister before the altar. Come spend the night in sackcloth, you who minister before my God. For the grain offerings and drink offerings are withheld from the house of your God. Declare a holy fast, call a sacred assembly, summon the elders and all who live in the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas, for that day, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. And the prophet Joel prophesied these words a long, long time ago. But the thing is, is when we look at what is coming to the earth that is known as the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is, is a time in which God will rightly deal with the full measure of the wickedness of man. Sometimes we sit back and we look at what's going on in our schools with the gender confusion and the sexual confusion. We look at abortions. We look at human trafficking. We see how even the, the name of Jesus is mocked, where they make movies about Jesus, where they portray him as a homosexual and all these things. And we sit back as Christians and we wonder ourselves, God, when are you going to deal with all of this? And I truly believe there is a day coming that God is going to fully deal with the wickedness of man. The one thing about God is you'll never escape him. You'll never escape the living God. The amazing thing about God is that if you and I right now could have the veil pulled back and we could see God in all of his glory, every single one of us in this room would hit our faces on the ground. If we could stand in the presence of the awesomeness of the full measure of God like Isaiah did, it is utterly terrifying because he is God Almighty. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is is the beginning and the end. He holds every breath in his hand. When we look at the leaders of our nation, if God wanted to right now, God in a moment could speak a word in the heartbeat of different leaders in our nation. They could all die in a moment's notice. But God has a plan, God has a purpose in everything. And I really believe in this time in which we live, as we are, as we are moving towards the return of Jesus Christ, as we are moving towards the rapture of the church, as we are moving towards the culmination of the church age, I believe now it is moving at an incredible speed and it is moving even more. And the, believe, the reason I believe that speed is increasing is a couple of things. Number one, 
Technology has made it possible that the gospel of Jesus Christ can go at light speed at anywhere in the world. Also, the more that man opens themselves up to wickedness, the more it increases on the earth. And the more that wickedness increases on the earth, the more it draws the wrath of God. So really, you are coming to the perfect storm where God is bringing a culmination of all things. God is bringing His bride to full maturity. But as the bride is being brought to full maturity, the sons and the daughters of wickedness in the earth are also being brought to full maturity. And so all of these things, we are coming to the culmination of the ages. What I, what I was, what was amazed by this week, I was in prayer And as I was praying in the Spirit, I sensed that the Holy Spirit said to me, He said, David, the things that I laid out in the hearts of Peter and Paul and the first apostles and all that I would do throughout the church age, I am bringing all of those things to completion. My purpose goes through each generation and I will accomplish everything that I have said that I will accomplish because I and I alone am the living God. My word will never return void. All that I have spoken concerning the church will come to pass. All that I have spoken concerning Israel will come to pass. All that I have spoken over every single nation will come to pass. And so the question is, what role do we play in this? Do we just sit back and wait on the living God and say, God, you're going to do your thing. And I believe that God has called us to be temples of the Holy Spirit. God has called us to be His hands and His feet. Whenever... God Almighty is going to accomplish anything in the course of history. He always uses a human vessel. And the question is, what is the qualification to be used by God? It's really simple. Are you willing? That's it. Jesus would stand and he would say to the disciples, come follow me. When Isaiah stood in the courts of heaven, the Lord said, and who will go for us? And God had brought Isaiah into that place because God knew the heart of Isaiah. And today, I I believe that God is calling His bride to something far greater than we have ever seen. I believe that God is calling His bride to walk in the fullness, the power of the Holy Spirit that many of us have only read about in the past, but have never fully known. But I believe there is a part that we have to play on ourselves. I believe we have a part to play in all of this. It's just not us sitting by and saying to God, okay, you do what you do. No, I I believe that the Lord is calling us to something deeper. So whenever we enter a new year, I believe that there are greater things God desires to accomplish in the earth and in his people. And too many times we focus on what the devil's doing. That's the mistake many believers make. We focus on all the new ways that the devil's coming up with trying to destroy humanity. And you know what? The devil's going to do what the devil's going to do because when he fell from heaven, anything that was good from him was removed. And Satan now is pure wickedness. If you could picture wickedness as you see it, the author of all of it comes out of the heart of Satan. He is the father of lies. When he looks at humanity, he hates humanity because they're created in the image of God. And his one sole desire is to destroy as many people as possible. But I believe with God, he desires to take us from glory to glory. Often, when people hear the word fasting, they may actually run from it. They may even think to themselves, why would I want to punish myself with fasting? I really like to eat food. Because like last night, my wife made uh, prime rib for New Year's Eve dinner. Now, did we eat the whole thing? No. I ate part of it, but the thought that went through my mind 
is fasting starts tomorrow. So whatever I don't eat today, I'm not going to get to eat. So I, I looked at it and I said, it is what it is. But that's oftentimes what hinders people from really entering into fasting many times is for how much we love and idolize food. And for America's, Americans, this is why I believe this has been such a weakness in the American church and why the church in America often is without power. But I believe when we look at God's word that prayer and fasting opens the door to advancement and deliverance. I believe that any time ground is taken for God's kingdom, there will be battles. There isn't one thing that you're ever going to advance God's kingdom that there is not going to be a war, there is not going to be a battle. God shows us this time and time again in the Old Testament. When Joshua went to take the promised land, every piece of land Joshua took, there was a war. And too many times as Christians in America, we want to sit back and say, I don't really want to get my hands dirty. I don't want to really be persecuted. I don't want anybody to really say anything bad about me. I don't want to be rejected. And what God would say to us is, put on the armor I've given you and go to war. We face a spiritual enemy, and God has given us spiritual weapons to overcome him. The amazing thing about the enemy that we face is that he's already defeated. But the problem for many of us as Christians is that Satan has not only convinced us that he can overcome us, but that he has more power and authority that we possess in Jesus Christ. But I believe prayer and fasting is a key to seeing deliverance, healing, restoration, and advancement in God's kingdom. In fasting, when I looked up uh, the, the definition in a, in a Bible dictionary, it said a ritual of abstaining from food and or drink for a predetermined period of time. Practiced in the Bible primarily as a means of mourning. Fasting frequently occurs in the Old Testament in response, this is important, to suffering or disaster in conjunction with other morning rituals. And when we look at fasting, fasting was a regular part of Jesus' life. Jesus, when he came to the earth, he not only came to die upon a cross and take our place, but he also came to set a model of how we are to live. Luke in his gospel shows that Jesus was the perfect man, that his genealogy went all the way back to Adam, that when Christ came, he never stopped being God, but he fully became man. And in everything Jesus did, he did it as a flesh and blood man. He did everything through the power and the might of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus' life, a big part of it was prayer and fasting. When you look at, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. It says, when you fast. Jesus didn't say, if you fast. He said, when you fast. Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward in full, but when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face, so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting. And here's the important point of what Jesus says in this. But only your Father who is unseen and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is an incredible blessing when we fast. One of the things Jesus was pointing out to the disciples is that the religious leaders of his day, when they would fast, they, they loved the attention of man. So they would do things to their body, they would distort their faces, so that everybody would say, hey, you must be fasting. They would say, yes, I am, because I'm so holy. 
But Jesus says this is not the attitude we are to have. When we fast, we are to put oil on our head. We are to wash our faces. We are to present ourselves as if we are full from not food, but we are full from the presence of God. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there is, there is something very supernatural that happens when we fast. Because fasting is an invitation and an opportunity to greater intimacy with the Lord. And not only greater intimacy with Him, but I also believe greater opportunities and responsibilities in God's kingdom. I believe that when people fast and they pray, and as Jesus said here, He says, your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I believe that oftentimes when people are looking for breakthrough of some kind, if they will go into a period of prayer and fasting, all of a sudden a door that could not be opened and has been shut, all of a sudden it flings wide open because our Father who sees in secret, He rewards us. And also it's important to see in Jesus' own life In Matthew 4, 1 through 2, before he stepped into ministry, he actually was in a time of fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. It says, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. 40 days and 40 nights. When you look in the Bible, there's three individuals who fasted for 40 days. One of them fasted for 80 days. The one who fasted for 80 days was Moses. When Moses went up to the mountain, he was there for 40 days. He didn't have any water. He didn't have any food. He went up there. He got the law of God. He came back down. He smashed the thing. He went back up there for 40 days. Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. And he was in the heat of the desert, the wilderness where he was. And he didn't have any food. He didn't have any drink. All of a sudden, at Jesus' weakest point as a human being, all of a sudden the devil comes to him and starts to tempt him. But in that moment, as Jesus was being tested by the devil, he was being prepared for ministry. And every time the devil came to him and the devil lied to him and the devil tried to tempt him, Jesus would respond with the word of God. And so there is something very supernatural, there is something that, that happens in the life, in the spirit, in the soul of an individual when they go into a time of prayer and fasting. I, I remember when, before I ever walked into ministry, I was working as a substitute teacher, and um, I, was, I was on this long-term sub-assignment in the Binghamton School District where they had me just pretty much being the guy who hands out the towels to the kid in the pool. This is what I did all day long, and I, I thought to myself, well, this is nice. I'm getting paid to do this. We'll just do this every day. And um, as I was in that period of my life, God was taking me into a deeper place. And um, as I was there each day, the Lord began to speak to me about fasting. And I had never fasted before. And at that time, I was doing a lot of weightlifting. And the Lord said, I want you to go into a time of prayer and fasting. And the first thing that came into my mind is, man, if I go into fasting, I'm not going to be able to lift weights. So I was like, Lord, I don't want to do this. I like food too much. I don't want to pray and fast. And the Lord kept saying to me, and and this is how the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit will relentlessly knock on the door of your heart. And every day you think you're going to get away, the Holy Spirit comes again. He says, you're going to fast. You're going to fast. You're going to fast. And finally, as the Holy Spirit wore me down, I said, okay, I'm going to fast. And so I started with one day, and and at that time when I would fast, 
I would fast from 6 in the morning till 6 p.m. And I just, I did it for the first day, and I went through it, and I thought to myself, okay, that wasn't too bad. And then as I started to do it day after day, that turned out to be 40 days. 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., or 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I would eat after 6 p.m. I did it for 40 days. And what was amazing was during that time as I was fasting, the voice of the Lord became more and more clear. And I would be doing things, and it was almost like I could hear his audible voice, and he would begin to speak to me, and he would begin to share with me why he had called me into fasting and and what he was setting the stage for. But I believe it's important for us to take a look at some different things from God's word when it comes to fasting and see what the result, why did people go into fasting? Because, you know, if, if a pastor calls people to pray and to fast, I think it's important that people understand why. I mean, are you just calling us to pray and fast because every other church in the area thinks it's, it's, it's a great thing to go into a time of prayer and fasting? But really, what is the biblical principle behind it? And so one of the reasons in the Word of God that people went into a time of prayer and fasting, and today I'm going to go through different passages of Scripture. So if you're not going to get to all of them, I'm going to encourage you to write down the Scripture reference. One of the reasons people would go into prayer and fasting was for repentance and mourning. And in 1 Samuel 7, 1 through 6, it says this, Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of the foreign gods and the Ashtaroths and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the, Lord put away, so the Israelites put away their Baals and Ashtaroths and served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Assemble all Israel at Mizpah, and I will intercede with the Lord for you. When they had assembled at Mizpah, they drew water and poured it out before the Lord. On that day they fasted, and there they confessed. We have sinned against the Lord. Now Samuel was serving as leader of Israel at Mizpah. One of the things we see is because of the wickedness of Israel, because of their idolatry, and some people wonder, what did the Baal statues look like? These idols that they worshipped, do you know what they were? They were a statue of a male erected penis. This, this, is, this is why when you look at our, our nation, when you look at the over-sexualization, this is the worship of Baal. It is no different than the days of the Israelites. It is no different than northern Israel when Jezebel did this all in northern Israel. Once again, the spirit of Jezebel is running rampant in America and God is saying, where are my Elijahs? God is saying, American pastors, are you going to sit back and cry and complain about your government or are you going to actually preach the truth? Because see, before there is any restoration... Before there is any deliverance, there is something that is very key in God's kingdom. It is repentance. And when the people were confronted by Samuel the prophet, they finally understood that if we continue on this path, we are going to be destroyed by our sin. And so they not only repented of their ways, but by coming into a time of prayer and fasting, what they did is they humbled themselves before the living God. Because when we pray and fast, this is what happens. When we do not eat, And we are not physically eating anything. Physical food feeds our body. When we are not eating and we are fasting, we are now humbling ourselves before God and we are relying on Him. We are praying and we are saying, Father, sustain me in this. 
And there is a very intimate thing that happens between that child of God and the living God when they begin to fast. Because it's not about starving your body of food. So many people focus on, I'm not going to eat. Now, one of the things I am going to say is I know we have people that are on medications and special diets and all of that. And one of the things I would encourage you to do, you're going to go into a time of prayer and fasting, is seek the Lord for wisdom. If you've never fasted before, it's not a good idea to say, yeah, I'm going to fast for 40 days without any food or water. That's not going to go well. But it's, it's, it's about a consecration. It's, it's about a humbling. This is what it says in Nehemiah 9, 1 and 2. It says, on the 24th day of the same month, the Israelites gathered together, fasting and wearing sackcloth, putting dust on their heads. It is a picture of them humbling themselves before the living God. Those of Israelite descent had separated themselves from the foreigners. They stood in their place and confessed their sins and the sins of their ancestors. God has always called His people to be set apart. And God has always called His people to humble themselves before the living God. But do you know what happens when God's people are given over to the worship of idols? And if you don't think there's idols that exist today, then you're deceived. And there's many in America today that worship idols. They worship at the altars of many, many different idols. But the problem is, when humanity worship idols, you know what's produced in their hearts? Arrogance. And what will always precede destruction is arrogance and pride. This is why Satan will always draw people to the worship of idols because when they worship idols, their hearts are given over to the things of darkness and now their hearts are open to the things of wickedness. And ultimately, if they don't turn from it, which means repentance and humble themselves before Almighty God, then the only thing that stands in front of them, they're rejecting the mercy of God. So the only thing that stands in front of them, they're choosing the wrath of God. And the problem for America today is it's choosing the wrath of God. Every time it aborts a child, every time they bring drag queens into the White House to sign laws that mock the living God, God does not stand in heaven and say, well, will you look at that? They're doing wrong again. No, God says, America, your time is running out. That the only reason you have, you have remained as a nation is because of me. And if you wonder why Things have happened in our nation since the 1960s, turning our back on God. It's because the moment we began to turn our back on God, the hand of God that was on this nation begins to be lifted a little bit. And the more that God lifts his hand more and more, the more that wickedness comes in like a flood. And really, the only saving grace in this hour for this nation is for the church to be the church. Our government is not going to save us. Our military is not going to save us. Even laws that are written in this nation are not going to save us. But the only thing that can sustain America in this hour is if the American church gets very serious about repentance and about prayer and fasting. We look in 2 Samuel 1, 11 and 12. It says, Then David and all the men with him took hold of their clothes and tore them. They mourned and wept and fasted till evening for Saul and his son Jonathan and for the army of the Lord and for the nation of Israel because they had fallen by the sword. Now this, this, what's amazing about this is David at this point in his life had been chased by Saul everywhere. 
David was the next anointed king of Israel. There were multiple times David could have taken the life of Saul. It was right in front of him. And every time David was tempted by the devil to take matters into his own hand and end the life of Saul and to take what rightfully belonged to him. But David was a man after God's own heart. And every time David passed the test and resisted the temptation of the devil, it was setting the stage for David's greatness. And so it is an amazing thing when you look at this, this man who has been trying to kill David, when David learns the news that Saul has died, and the only reason that Saul's reign became a train wreck, and the only reason he could not be a good king as God called him to be, is because Saul rejected the living God. Saul feared man more than he feared God, and that was the difference between David and Saul. David feared the living God. Saul did not. When you fear the living God, you fear nothing. Because when you fear the living God, God can have you stand in the streets of Iran where you are surrounded by Muslims on every side and you can stand on some post and you can proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ like a lion because fear doesn't run through your veins because there is only one you fear and that's the living God. And this was the apostles in the book of Acts when Peter and Paul would go into an area and they would begin to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. There was so much intensity, there was so much ferocity in which they ministered because the fire of the Holy Spirit was seeping through their veins because it filled them. And this is what I believe God is looking for the American church to become. He's looking for the American church to become so filled with the fire of God that it doesn't matter what, what demon in hell or what army in hell tries to come and do something in this nation, that God is going to raise up His people to be His hands and His feet. But I believe ultimately besides repentance and besides mourning, I believe that when we look at fasting, it's associated with danger and God's deliverance. I believe that, that when, when God's people go into fasting... It's because there is something that dangerous stands before them. There is an enemy that is on the horizon that seems overwhelming and that they understand that our only hope in this hour is the living God. And that if we'll come to Him, if we'll pray, we'll fast, if we will consecrate our lives to Him, it doesn't matter the enemy that is arrayed against us if the living God is for us, who can stand against us? And let us never forget that Jesus in the Bible is known as the captain of the host. He leads the armies of heaven. Yes, Jesus is full of love, grace, and mercy. Jesus was the same one when there was a child. He would get down on his knee. He would talk to that child. Children would sit on his knee. That the prostitutes and the tax collectors, that nobody would, would give them a time of day. They would come to Jesus and Jesus would wrap his arms around them. But Jesus is also the captain of the host. Jesus is the most fierce warrior that has ever existed. That when you look, read in the book of Revelation, in Revelation 19, you get a picture of what the living Christ looks like as a warrior. And God wants to demonstrate the full measure of his character and his nature. God doesn't want his church just to be kind and compassionate and graceful and merciful and do all these kind things. God wants his church to be both the lion and the lamb. God wants the church in America to rise up and declare the word of God. It doesn't matter who stands against us. It doesn't matter who comes against us. Because if God is for us, we have nothing to fear. 
and fear, the spirit of fear has been running rampant in this nation. And the body of Christ in this nation is bowing their knee to it over and over and over again. And God is saying, it is enough. It is enough. Because if you, I'm going to read to you today out of 2 Chronicles 20, this account of Jehoshaphat. It says, after this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and some of the Mennonites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. These are three warring nations that have now come to surround Israel. Three warring nations. And I knew I was going to need a microphone today because i got to hold it down here when I preach. I, 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 the Lord said to me, you better have a microphone in your hand today. So it says, some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Adam. When they say vast... They mean that when Jehoshaphat would look on the, on the countryside, that it would, it, would, it would almost blank out the sun. That's how big this army was. It says, from the other side of the Dead Sea, it is already at Hazian Tamar, that is in Engedi. Alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. That was the first right thing he did. And he proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. The people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord, and indeed, they came from every town in Judah to seek him. So as you see, the leader of the Israelites, the king at that time, Jehoshaphat, gets this report. Now, he could have had two choices, and this is where a lot of the kings of Israel failed. Oftentimes, when they had warring nations come against them, the reason they would often fail is they would try to go hire another military to fight their battles. And they would turn their back on the living God, but Jehoshaphat didn't. Jehoshaphat didn't look at this army and say, there's no hope for us. i got to go find some army to fight for us. Jehoshaphat knew that the Lord is going to fight our battles. Now, here's the important thing. Jehoshaphat knew that if he himself went into fasting, it wasn't enough. He knew that it was important that corporately that the people came together in fasting. And as the king of Israel, when he called this fast, the people responded in obedience. And I want you to listen now to what happened when the people fasted. Because we often wonder, what goes on in the spiritual realm when we pray? What goes on in the spiritual realm when we fast? Are angels really real? And if I could tell you right now, if I could pull back the veil, I have no doubt, are there warring angels in this room? I, I believe there are. And I believe if you saw them walk around this room, that if you saw how tall they were, if you saw the armor they wore, if you saw the fierce look in their eyes, because the reason I believe they're here is because God has called this church to be a warring church. God has not called this church to be a social club, and I know that I'm not, ever, I'm not a pastor for everybody. I know there are people that will listen to my sermons, they'll hear me preach, they'll come in the door one way, they'll go out the other, they'll say, that guy's out of his mind. But I also know that God is assembling an army. And so... I want to read for you out of 2 Chronicles 20, starting in verse 5, because what you're going to see is you're not only going to see the people praying and fasting, but you're going to see the answer from heaven and what God does. Because God will always fight on behalf of his people if his people will turn to him, if they'll turn from their wicked ways, if they'll humble themselves and be obedient to him. It says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah, and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard and said, now this is what I want us to see. 
Jehoshaphat is about to pray, and what he is basing his prayer on is Scripture. He is taking the Word of God to God, and he is reminding God about what he has said in his Word, because God tells us, if you do things to, according to my Word and honor my Word, I will honor you. Too many times the reason we may not know how to pray is because we don't know the Word of God. And if we will pray according to the Word of God, God will answer according to His Word. God never does anything outside of His will. He never does anything outside of His Word. But all of a sudden, when God finds somebody who is very serious about studying the Word of God, about being a person of God's presence, and then being a person of prayer, God has the makings of somebody that can turn history upside down. Because the living God can move through a human being to accomplish his will and his purpose. This is what Jehoshaphat says. It says, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand. No one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend. He is reminding God of the covenant he established with Abraham. They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name and will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. But now... Here are men from Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. When the Israelites went through the wilderness, these areas they were not able to touch because of their their relationship with Israel, with descendants, as it had to do with Lot, his daughters, and also it had to do with Esau. And it says, so they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they are repaying us by coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah with their wives and children and little ones stood there before the Lord. Then the spirit of the Lord of Jezel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Metaneah, a Levite, and the son of Asaph, as he stood in the assembly, he said, Listen, King Jehoshaphat, and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Ziz. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of Jeruel. You will not have to fight this battle. Take up your your positions. Stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord will give you Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow. The Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed down his face to the ground and all the people of Judah and Jerusalem fell down and worshiped before the Lord. Then some Levites from Kohathites and Korathites stood up and praised the Lord, the God of Israel, with a very loud voice. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld. 
Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out with the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Now what I want you to see is there's a chain of events that have happened here. First of all, an enemy army came in that was vast, that made Israel look like it was nothing. And if Israel would have tried to take out swords and try to take them on, they would have been demolished. And Jehoshaphat, being a godly king, he called a fast, he called a time of prayer, he called a time of intercession. But here now, after they have fasted, after they have heard a word from the Lord, Jehoshaphat now has singers go before the army there is a warfare aspect of worship that we don't really ever understand or fully understand. And these that go before the army as they are marching out into battle, they begin to praise the Lord. It says, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. You know, sometimes we think I got to have a really complicated worship song to really get things happen in a church. No, you don't. Here's really simple. Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Just think about this. Think about all the, the, the armies of Israel, the men, the women, the children, as these singers went forth and began to sing this song. I am sure they were not only the ones singing, but all of Israel begins to sing this over and over again. And what does it say? That God inhabits the praises of his people. As they worship the living God and as they went into battle, the armies of heaven went before them. And this was the result because they didn't even have to fight this battle. It says... And they began to sing and praise, and the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and the Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. After they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. When the men of Judah came to the place that overlooks the desert and looked toward the vast army, they saw only dead bodies lying on the ground. No one escaped. So Jehoshaphat and his men went to carry off their plunder, and they found among them a great amount of equipment and clothing and also articles of value, more than they could take away. There was so much plunder that it took three days to collect it. On the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Berakah, and they praised the Lord. This is why it is called the valley of Berakah to this day. And when we look at this, you know, oftentimes we look at the landscape of America. And I, I remember when I was a, a teacher, a substitute teacher, I hadn't gotten a, <clears throat> a full-time teaching position yet. And I was a substitute teacher in a, in a classroom with students who were special ed students. And the kids were doing something, and I was just staring there, and then all of a sudden the American flag was standing in the room. And as I began to look at this flag and I began to just, I get lost in the moment of what God began to speak to me. He began to just share with me, there are purposes and there are plans that God desires to do in this nation. And yes, when you look at the tide of what's happening in America right now, just as Jehoshaphat looked and it looked vast, and it looked like they were surrounded on every side, Jehoshaphat knew that the only answer was God Almighty. It wasn't in political figures. 
It wasn't in military might. It wasn't in laws of the day. Jehoshaphat knew that if the only way that we're going to be sustained and see the purposes of God fulfilled and we're going to see God deliver us is if we truly get real with God in prayer and fasting. And as I said, as, as, we, as you look at examples, other examples in the Bible, I want to just read for you out of Ezra. Ezra 8, 21 through 23, it says, There by the Haviel Canal I proclaimed a fast so that they might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. I was ashamed to ask for the king for soldiers and horsemen protect us from the enemies on the road because we had told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him, but his great anger is against all who forsake him. So we fasted and petitioned our God about this, and he answered our prayer. Time and time again, when you look at um, Esther, Esther was risen up in the kingdom of Persia, and um, there there was a gentleman at that time, Haman, who because Mordecai would not bow down to him, because Mordecai served the living God, and Haman was given a position by that time by Xerxes, that when he went through the town, everybody would bow down. But then all of a sudden, he's coming through the town, and there's this Jew named Mordecai who's not bowing down. And Haman asks about this man and finds out he's Jewish, and satanically, he puts together this thing that he's going to now destroy all the Jewish people. And God, through a series of events, God intervenes, but through the process of intervening, there is a period of fasting that goes on that brings deliverance. And probably one of the greatest pictures spiritually of what happens in the spiritual realm when God's people fast is Daniel. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel is fasting. Daniel is fasting for 21 days. Daniel knows the prophecy of Jeremiah. For 70 years, they would be in captivity. And Daniel is praying. Daniel is fasting for the nation of Israel. And Daniel is a man of prayers. If you've been going to the Daniel class on Wednesday night, I would encourage you, if you haven't, to go. Daniel, what, when you look at Daniel's life and you wonder yourself, why was Daniel such a great man of God? There is a common denominator between Daniel and Jesus Christ, and it's they were both men of prayer. And Daniel was a man who was humble. He was in Babylon. There is so much that we as Christians living in the world system of Babylon can learn by studying the life of Daniel. But Daniel was a man of prayer, and Daniel went into this time of prayer and fasting, and all of a sudden as he is fasting, he's praying, he's probably wondering himself, is God listening? Is God paying attention? Is anything going on? He has an encounter with the angel Gabriel. And Gabriel tells him from the first day that you began to fast, there was war that broke out in heaven. And Michael the archangel went to go and he went to go and he went to fight. And he lays out this whole thing that happens in the spiritual realm. And I truly believe in all of my heart that if we as the people of God, if we get serious about repentance, if we get serious about prayer corporately, if we get serious about the word of God, if we get serious about fasting, if we get serious about everything that matters to God, because here's the problem in America. We do things in the American church that matter to us and appeal to us. We have light shows and all of this stuff because that appeals to our flesh. But the question is, in services where all of, the, and I don't, again, I don't have a problem with light shows. If it's done the right way, it's really awesome to look at. But here's the problem. 
If I so organize a service where there's no gifts of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit can move, there's a problem with that. Because what I've said to God is we're going to do this our way and we want you to bless us. And the Lord says, well, you can do it your way, but guess what? There's going to be no power. There's going to be no blessing. And here's the thing that I would rather have as a church. I would rather have a church that we have no technology, we have no nothing, but if we have the presence of God, we have everything. Because you know what? If we can have somebody walk into this church who's been strung out on cocaine for the last 30 days, they've been stuck on heroin, they've been stuck on meth, they've been trying everything and anything under the sun, they can't get under it, and then all of a sudden they walk into this place and the living God touches them and every desire for meth goes away and they're changed forever, that is powerful. And when that person who's been strung out on meth is hanging out with other people that are strung out on meth and they're saying, listen... We're all doing this, but I, I got an answer for this. I got freedom for this. And I got people in this room right now who have been strung out on drugs and they can testify to the power of Jesus Christ. And that's, that's what I am praying and that's what I am believing that God wants to do in our midst. I believe that God wants to take this church not for the glory of man, not for the glory of the name of a church, not for any of that. God just simply wants to take a church Put it like a light on a city on a hill in a time of great darkness and say to people, if you want to find me and you want to be changed and you want to be healed, you want to be delivered, come to this place and be touched by the living God. And so at this time, I want to ask the worship team to come up and, and go ahead and get in their spots. I want to ask the altar workers to um, come and, and get set up here to, to pray for people. Um, that are going to come for prayer today. And the thing I'll, I'll say about the altar time is sometimes people wonder during the altar time, they might be sitting in their seat and they might be feeling led to come up, but they're like, I don't really know if my problem's really that serious or if I really should go, or sometimes it's fear. But really what an altar is, it's a place of prayer and it's a place of agreement and prayer. And if you have an issue in your life, Jesus says, where two or more agree on anything, it's done. So if you're battling an issue today, it doesn't matter what it is. You don't even have to, when you come up, you don't even have to tell us what it is. You can just say, I need prayer today, that we can agree with you, we can pray with you, and we can believe that God's going to bring deliverance and God's going to bring healing. But before we do that, I just ask everybody to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I just always want to ask this question because I never know who's here in the room. But if you're here today and you were listening to this message and you're hearing about Jesus, you're hearing about God, and you're like, you know, I don't really know Jesus and I don't know, I don't have a personal relationship with God and I want to be forgiven of my sins and I want to be a child of God today. If that's you, I just want to ask you to raise your hand because I want to pray for you. Praise God. Praise God. So what I want to do is, because we had a brother raise his hand, I want to just pray all of this together. If you would just repeat this after me. Heavenly Father, I come to you today, and I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I surrender my life to you, and I pray that you would use it for your glory and your honor. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit and empower me 
and equip me to be your son and daughter. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. And if you raised your hand today, I just want to encourage you, please fill out a Connect card because I want to connect with you this week. And I also want to ask this question before we open up the altars. If the Holy Spirit was speaking to you today and you want to commit yourself to pray and to fast for the next seven days and be obedient to the Holy Spirit, it may be one meal a day, it may be two meals a day, it may be the entire day, but if you feel called by God to do that, I just want to ask you to stand because I want to pray for you. And I'm just going to wait for a few minutes. So Father, right now, Lord, you see all those that are standing. And Father, especially for some in this place who have never prayed and fasted before, it might be a a scary thing. But Father, I pray through all of this that Lord, when we are not partaking of food, that Father, that we would be praying and seeking you, spending time in your word, relying on you. Father, I pray that everyone who has answered the call that you, Lord God, would just strengthen them during the seven days. And Father, more than anything, I pray, Father, that Lord, that you would just give them, Lord God, a greater intimacy with you, a kingdom increase, that they would be filled with your spirit in a greater way. And Father, that your gifts would be manifested in their life. Father, we just pray that you would use this church body for your glory. We pray that you would unite us. We pray against all division and discord. Father, we pray that our hearts and our minds would be one with you. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So at this time, we're going to open the altars. And if you need prayer for anything, we're here to pray with you. But again, 